Let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. So this will be our second Sunday in Acts chapter 2, and our second Sunday in the... We're not going to go through the entire book of Acts. We're really just looking at the first two chapters. And today we're going we're gonna to look at the first 21 verses of chapter 2. So this is kind of a part two of what we began last week when we looked into Acts chapter 2. It is fitting that today is Father's Day in America. I don't know if it is anywhere else on earth, but it is in America. And here in Acts chapter 2, we see that Peter is speaking to the men of Israel, to the fathers of that nation that had assembled in Jerusalem from every nation. This is what we see in Acts chapter 2. The Bible says they assembled there from every nation under heaven. And they assembled in obedience to God's word. Every male was commanded to appear before the Lord three times a year. And the Feast of Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, was one of those gathering feasts. This is why it's recorded in Acts that there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And those devout men were assembled for the Feast of Pentecost in obedience to God's law and God's word. So let's read the text. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we'll read through verse 21. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came the sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Bergia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. 
And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. I want to pray, and I didn't do this. Uh, we had a very uh, a late prayer request come in, and I want to also lift up um, Kobe and Roxanne. It's a young couple who are pregnant with a child, and they're going next week to find out if this child may have a genetic disorder that could be fatal uh, for, the young, for the child. Um, and, and so we want to pray for them that uh, we want to pray for this child to be healed. We want to pray for this mother and father to have peace. We want to pray that they would trust the Lord even though they may hear a report that would cause them to... Um, to have doubts, to wonder whether the pregnancy should remain or not. So as I pray for us, as we begin to look into the Word of God, I want to lift up Kobe and Roxanne as well. Father, we thank you for your Word, and we thank you for this Word that gives us the account of you pouring out your Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit, the Bible says, that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us and it will strengthen our mortal body. Lord, as we consider this child in the womb, this child of Kobe and Roxanne, I'm reminded of John the Baptist who leapt in his mother's womb when he heard the voice of Mary who was carrying the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of the prophet Jeremiah who was told by God, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. And so, Father, this child in the womb of Roxanne is not unknown to you. And regardless of what the doctors may think is going on with this child, regardless of what a test may show, this child was birthed, conceived by your power. It is a gift from God. It is a blessing from God. And I pray that you help Kobe and Roxanne see that child as that blessing. And I pray, Father God, that they would receive a report. Uh, and as they receive that report, they would have your peace, no matter what that report may be. We're praying for a good report, a report that will show that this child does not have a, that disorder. But Father, if they should get the worst news possible, I pray that they would have peace that passes understanding as they would know that even that child with that disorder is a blessing from you. And however long that child may live, however short that life may be, that child, Father God, we believe is from you and will return to you at the appointed time. And I pray, Father, you help this family have peace and that you would lead them and guide them in any decision that they have to make. Father, open our hearts and open our minds to your word. Let it be life to us and truth to us. Let it change us and transform us. Let it conform us to the very image of the Son of God, that we would be a people transformed by the power of your word and of your spirit to burn bright and to give witness to Jesus Christ in this world, in this community, 
in our families. Father, we ask this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Pentecost is the Feast of Weeks. So, we talked about how Pentecost was related to what happened at Babel. And God at Pentecost is bringing a reunification where at Babel we saw a scattering and a division. Well, there was another uh, major event, a very major event, in fact, for the nation of Israel that happened at Mount Sinai. And there is a relationship, a link between Sinai and Pentecost. Pentecost is the Feast of Weeks. It's a festival of the grain harvest. Remember, first fruits, the feast on which Jesus was resurrected, marked the beginning of the barley harvest. Fifty days later is Pentecost. It marks the beginning of the wheat harvest. And we're going to see, as we look at some scripture later on, that that is significant. And so this feast is about the grain harvest. But the link between Sinai and Pentecost doesn't have anything to do with a grain harvest or crops or agriculture. It has to do with the giving of God's law, the giving of the law, the giving of God's word to Israel at Sinai. For the Jews, the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks represents something more. A Jew could not celebrate Pentecost and not be reminded of Sinai. And this is because there were, and there still are, the ancient rabbinic writings that convey this, this it's a legend, it's a story. We don't know if it's true or not because it's not in Scripture, but it's well received and it's believed. And it is it is believed and it is generally accepted by the Jews that Sinai, that God gave the law to Moses and the children of Israel at Pentecost, at what we call Pentecost, 50 days after the Feast of Firstfruits and Unleavened Bread. And so Sinai signified the giving of the word of the Lord proclaimed from Mount Sinai to the nation of Israel. Pentecost, therefore, commemorates not only the harvest, but it commemorates the giving of God's word. And we're going to see how this is related as we look at what happens. We hear, we read what is described to have happened there at Pentecost. That they're all in the upper room and the Holy Spirit is poured out and there is this great mighty rushing wind, this noise that was so loud that people that were in the city of Jerusalem heard the sound and were drawn to that place. And when those disciples came down from that upper room, there were these devout men gathered all around them from every nation under heaven hearing in their own language the wonderful works of God being proclaimed by these Galileans, by these disciples of Jesus. So let's contrast what happened at Sinai with what happened at Pentecost. At Sinai, fire came down upon the mountain, and the people were not fit to ascend that mountain to the presence of God. In fact, they were forbidden to even touch the mountain under the threat of death. 
because they were not worthy. Contrast that with Pentecost. At Pentecost, fire came down upon God's people, not a mountain, not a building, not the temple, but fire came down upon God's people. And the Spirit of God descended to dwell within the body, which is the church. The fire of God, the Spirit of God, descended to dwell within the body of God's people, that is His church. At Pentecost, God poured out His Spirit upon the church. It's important that we make that distinction. That it wasn't that God just poured out His Spirit on a bunch of individuals so that they could go out and live their individual lives now with the Spirit of God. God poured out His Spirit upon the body of God's people, which is the church. And this is why the Scripture is very clear in defining the body of Christ as a body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about members of the body, eyes and ears and noses and mouths and hands and feet and ears. And he uses, he's using a very graphic and very practical analogy, metaphor there to show us who we are and how we are to be joined together and to function together as one body. So we need to be very clear that when God poured out His Spirit at Pentecost, He wasn't just pouring it out upon a bunch of individual people so they could go and do their individual things. He poured it out upon the body of His people, which is the church, which is made up of many individual members, but they are all joined to become one in Christ. At Sinai, 3,000 rebellious Israelites were killed. At Pentecost, 3,000 rebellious Israelites were brought to bow their knee to Jesus and were saved. At Sinai, God gave His law apart from His Spirit, and it became for any man in the flesh the law of sin and death. That doesn't mean the law was bad. It means that men were bad. Don't make that mistake, because the Bible says the law is good. The law is holy. It's not the law that's bad, it's men who are bad. And the law given to men apart from the Spirit does nothing but reveal their sin and their death and their absolute desperate need for a Savior. That's what happened at Pentecost, I mean at Sinai. The law wasn't given so Israel could be righteous through keeping the law. The law was given so that Israel would understand every day of their life that they need a Savior to save them. And their only hope was to put their faith in the God, the only God who could save them. So the law given apart from the Spirit becomes for any man in the flesh the law of sin and death. At Pentecost, God gave His law by His Spirit, and it became for any man in the Spirit the law of the Spirit of life in Christ. I want you to notice that the Israelites at Sinai 
were not any more rebellious than the Israelites at Pentecost. But the Israelites at Sinai were killed, and the Israelites at Pentecost were saved. The Israelites at, Pen at Sinai had rejected God, But guess what? The Israelites at Pentecost had rejected God and crucified His Son. But the law given by the Spirit descending upon His body, the church, and those disciples proclaiming with power the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, God took those rebellious Israelites and He saved them we could say, in a sense, he killed them. He struck them down with the cross, but in striking them down through the cross, he raised them up in the resurrection life of Jesus. This is what the power of the Spirit does. In Christ, the law and the Spirit work together. If we are in Christ, we are to no longer walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The law is fulfilled in us as we trust in Christ and walk according to His Spirit. If we belong to Christ, we are no longer in the flesh, but we are in the Spirit. That's what Romans 8 9 teaches us. Listen to what Paul writes. Let me read it for you from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, and then verse 9. Paul writes, this is the beginning of chapter 8, verse 1, but this comes right from chapter 7, where Paul cries out, Who can deliver me from this body of death? I thank God for Jesus Christ. And then he writes these words, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Fast forward down to verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So, in other words, if you are in Christ, if you are trusting in Christ, if you have been born again of the Spirit and you are in Christ, you have the Spirit of God. That's what the Bible teaches us. Paul goes on two verses later and he says, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and it will strengthen your mortal body. You don't have just any spirit, a spirit. You have the spirit of God dwelling in you if you are in Christ. In fact, the scripture teaches us that we have the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Now that should cause us to pause for a moment and ask ourselves, are we living our lives as though the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us? We should ask ourselves that question. I'm going to be 
completely honest with you. When I ask myself that question, very often I have to say, Jeff, you're not living like the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. But remember what Paul writes, there is therefore now no condemnation. The Spirit's not in you to condemn you. The Spirit is in you to convict you. The Spirit is in you to lead you, to guide you in the paths of righteousness so that your life is manifesting that Spirit and that power to give witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because remember, that's why God poured out His Spirit. That's why he told his disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Father. For when he, when the Holy Spirit has come, you will receive power to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And we know that happened because here we are today, still talking about Jesus still talking about that day some 2,000 years ago when the Spirit of God was poured out on all flesh. It's not irrelevant. It's extremely relevant for us today. When we're born again, the law of sin and death no longer works in us. Now, by the grace, by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ is working in us. The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us who now have the Spirit of Christ and walk according to the Spirit. At Sinai, the law was written on tablets of stone by the finger of God. At Pentecost, the law was written on new hearts by the Holy Spirit dwelling in His people. Now, as a result of the work of Christ at the cross and the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, God is writing His law on our new hearts by the Holy Spirit that is dwelling in us. So we see at Sinai there is a link to Pentecost. And the Jews that celebrated Pentecost understood the link to Sinai. Sinai, Pentecost, both saw the holy fire of God fall. They just fell in different places for different purposes. But the fire at Sinai always pointed us to the fire that would fall at Pentecost. And just as there was fire at Sinai, there was fire at Pentecost. Both Sinai and Pentecost saw the appearance of fire. At Sinai, there was fire on the mountain. The disciples in the upper room on the day of Pentecost would have known of the Jewish writings that spoke of those tongues, those flames of fire that appeared to those Israelites standing at the base of the mountain as God spoke His word and His law from Sinai. And the vision that's given in those writings is that as the voice of the Lord, as the word of the Lord went out, that word appeared as tongues of fire going in and out and among His people, resting upon His people as a sign that God had sent His word. And the question was asked, do you receive this word? And you know what they said? Yes, we receive it. And when they received it, they also received the judgment that it, was, that it would bring. And we saw that judgment in the 3,000 that were killed at Sinai. At Pentecost, that 
same word from the same living God comes by the Spirit of God. But it doesn't appear as fire from a mountain or fire just in the air. It appeared upon them and above them, but it didn't just rest on top of them or hover over them. It filled them. It entered them. The fire of God, the Spirit of God didn't reside. The presence of God wasn't residing on a mountain or a temple. It came and it descended into and resides in the people of God. And that fire, that power, was the power of God to save rebellious men. And we saw that power demonstrated on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 souls were added to the church in one moment, in one day, from one sermon. That's why we should never lose hope as a people. We should never lose hope as the church. Because God can do more in one moment, in one day, than we could do in decades or centuries. But He does not do that apart from the faithfulness of His people. You notice at Pentecost, there wasn't a whole nation gathered at the base of a mountain waiting to hear from God. There were 120 people in an upper room in obedience to a rejected Messiah waiting for the promise of the Father that the rest of the nation gathered in Jerusalem knew nothing of. They were there to keep the law delivered to them apart from the Spirit that had become sin and death to them. But there were 120 faithful disciples in an upper room who understood what all that law represented. That that law pointed to the true Savior and the true life and the true light that had come into the world in Jesus Christ. And that though Jesus had ascended to the Father, he, there was a promise coming. The Holy Spirit, we don't know how fully they understood what that Holy Spirit was or what was going to happen when the Holy Spirit came, but here's what we do know because this is what's recorded in the Scripture. Whatever they understood it to be, when it came, when it filled them, it empowered them and they came out of that upper room in power, with boldness, whereas just literally Days before, they were hiding for their lives, afraid to utter a peep. And now they were coming out with devout Jews, devout Jews ready to crucify people who claimed to be saviors and messiahs. Devout Jews who would have just as quickly crucified and killed them as they did the Lord Jesus. Gathered in Jerusalem from every nation under heaven. And those disciples came out of that upper room with absolute fearlessness in the face of those devout Jews. They were not worried about their own lives. They were not worried about their futures. They were not worried about anything. They were compelled by the Spirit of God in them and the power of God in them to give witness to the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the true Messiah, they understood that everything those Jews gathered there in Jerusalem were there to worship 
had been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the law that they thought was life to them was really the law that had brought them sin and death. And there was no hope of salvation and righteousness in that law apart from the Spirit of God and apart from the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For Jesus is the only man who ever was meant to and who ever could walk out in perfect obedience the law of God as it was given in the garden and as it was given at Sinai. But what about us? So we see that the fire of God fell in both places. And we see that God is associated with fire, holy fire. We see that God placed cherubim with fiery swords to guard the way to the tree of life. To cut apart with fire anyone who tried to come to that tree. We could spend a whole lot of time just talking about what all that represents. God commanded there be continuous fire in the tabernacle, fire at the altar, and fire on the lampstand, lighting the holy place. There was no offering that was offered without fire. The holy fire continuously burned on the altar, and the lampstand continuously burned to give its light. John the Baptist spoke of the one coming who would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Listen to his words recorded for us in Matthew 3, 11 and 12. Indeed, I, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandal I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor, and gather his wheat. That's what Pentecost represented, the wheat harvest. And gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Notice that John spoke of the Holy Spirit, he spoke of fire, and he spoke of the gathering of wheat, as well as the burning of chaff. All of this pictures Pentecost for us. What John spoke of, we see on the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost celebrated the gathering of wheat into the barn, which was symbolic of the real harvest that God desires. That is a gathering, a harvest of souls. Pentecost marks the outpouring of God's Spirit, the baptism of fire, and the gathering in of God's harvest. So we see on the day of Pentecost tongues of fire. The tongues of fire that appeared above the heads of those believers in the upper room at Pentecost that day is a significant reminder for all believers, including us on this day. It was a sign to the church for all time that now all who are in Christ are God's anointed ones. The anointing that we have is the Holy Spirit himself. There is no other anointing from God. There's not an anointing to sing, an anointing to play an instrument, an anointing to pray, an anointing to, to preach, an anointing to run fast. There's No, there's one anointing. If we look at the scripture, that word is used in the New Testament really only in one place. And it always speaks of the Holy Spirit. 
The anointing we have is the Holy Spirit Himself. There is no other anointing from God. John is writing about the Holy Spirit when he pins these words in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. He writes, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Jesus said, Go and wait for the promise of the Father, and He will send His Holy Spirit. The anointing, the Holy Spirit, was sent from the Holy One, from the Father, to His body, the church. Verse 27, 1 John 2, 27. But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. Now, John's not saying we don't need teachers. We know this because teacher was one of the giftings that came from God. But what John is saying is, there is a teacher on the inside of you, the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said, it's to your advantage I go away, because if I don't go away, the Spirit of God won't come, the Spirit of truth. He will lead you, He will guide you, He will teach you, He will call to remembrance all the things that I've said to you. So when I teach you, I'm your pastor, as I teach you, the Spirit of God on the inside of you should be bearing witness with what I'm teaching you. If I'm teaching you from the truth of God's Word. If I come to you with another gospel, and I give to you another gospel, and it doesn't bear witness with the truth as it has been revealed to us in God's Word, the Spirit on the inside of you should let you know that's not true. And this is Paul's point here. I mean, John's point here, because these believers were being deceived by those who were coming in and saying, Jesus really didn't come in the flesh. Jesus really didn't rise in the flesh. Your flesh doesn't matter. Only the Spirit matters. And he tells them, you need to test the spirits and see whether they're of God, because there's lots of spirits out there, but they're not all the Holy Spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit. And that one Holy Spirit that we receive when we're born again by the Spirit in Jesus Christ. That is the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That is the anointing that God gives to you, that abides in you, that teaches you. The Holy Spirit is the anointing from the Father poured out at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is given to us in Christ. It leads us, it guides us into truth. It illuminates that truth for us that we may be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It is the Holy Spirit, the anointing from the Holy One that is transforming us and conforming us to the very image of the Son of God. When those disciples came out of the upper room having been baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire... They knew that they were anointed and they were burning with the fire of God. It was clear for all to see when they came out of that upper room. Not little flames burning from the top of their head, but the power of God and the boldness of God that was coming out as they proclaimed the works of God. And even though they couldn't speak all of those languages, those men heard in each their own language the wonderful works of God being proclaimed.
The Spirit and the fire are inseparable, just as the Spirit and water are inseparable. Fire and water do the same thing. They cleanse us. The fire of the Spirit works through the power of God, and the water of the Spirit works through the Word of God. And both purify and wash and cleanse us by His Spirit that works in us according to His mighty power. Pentecost is the feast celebrating not just a harvest, but celebrating the giving of God's Word. And the flame of fire at Pentecost set ablaze God's people or God's light bearers. That's what we are called to be, light bearers for the Lord. We are His light bearers burning with the holy fire of God's Spirit and the light of His truth. Jesus calls us the light of the world, so we are to light His light and to let it shine bright for all to see. When Jesus said, you don't light a lamp and set it under a bushel basket and hide it, but you set it up on a stand for all to see, the imagery the Jews would have understood there was the imagery of the menorah burning in the holy place. And even in Jerusalem, there was the great menorah in the courtyard of the temple where the Jews the priests would take their old garments that were stained with blood and anointed with oil. And when they would become, they couldn't use them anymore. They would turn those priestly garments into wicks and they would light a huge menorah that could be seen for miles burning. And when we see in John chapter 8 where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. This, this is at the Feast of Tabernacles. This is what Jesus is making this declaration in relation to that burning of that menorah. He says, that menorah is not the light. I am the light. And so we are his light in the earth today. We are his torch bearers lit on fire by the holy fire of God's spirit. God promised a day would come under old covenants it was priests and prophets and kings that were the anointed light bearers of God. These three classes of people were the only ones anointed with oil to symbolize the anointing of the Spirit of God upon their lives. Pentecost completely changed that. The promise God made that there would come a day in which He would pour out His Spirit on all flesh was spoken by the prophet Joel. Peter quotes him in Acts chapter 2. And that day fully came when the day of Pentecost had fully come. And Peter gives witness to that when he, when he speaks these words inspired by the prophet Joel when he proclaimed, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Peter then quotes the prophet signifying that Joel's prophecy was fulfilled that day. And what was Joel's prophecy? It's recorded for us in Acts chapter 2 verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your, son, your sons, not the sons of priests, the sons of kings and the sons of prophets, but your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your men servants, your maid servants. So we see this promise that the spirit will be poured out on all flesh, not literally all living flesh but literally on Jew and Gentile, on slave and free, on rich and poor, 
on common born and royal born, on prophets and those who are not called by God to be prophets, on priests born of the right tribe and of those not born of the right tribe. So before you could only be a prophet, priest, or king if you were born into it. Now, we are prophets, priests, and kings because we have been born again into it. This is what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, when he calls the church a royal priesthood, a holy nation proclaiming the praises of him. Revelation 1.6 records that we have been made kings and priests to God. The book of Numbers records for us the words of Moses concerning the people of God when God poured out His Spirit and caused the 70 elders of Israel to prophesy. And 68 of them were up on the mountain, but two of them were left down in the camp. And these two men began to prophesy in the camp and Joshua sees them prophesying and he gets all bent out of shape and he runs to Moses and he says, Moses, there's two guys prophesying here. You want me to kill them? And here was Moses' response. Moses said to him, are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people would, were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. Now in Christ, with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God has put His Spirit on His people. We are His people prophesying, proclaiming His Word. We are a royal priesthood. We are kings and priests to our God, ruling and reigning with Him on this earth. We are not born into this anointing by the flesh as under the old covenant. We are born again into this by the Spirit as under the new covenant and a new creation. Concerning the anointing of God's Spirit, there is now no distinction in Christ. In Him we all are anointed with the Spirit of the living God. Now in Christ there is no longer rich or poor, slave or free, male or female, Jew or Gentile, or any other distinction to separate or to mark us as having any other identity apart from Christ. As Paul affirms in his letter to the Colossians, Colossians 3.11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Christ is all and in all. That is the work of the Spirit that fills us and makes us one with Him and with one another. You're not just one with Him. If you are one with Him, then we are one with one another. There can be no separation. There cannot be any distinction. If Christ is our head and we are his body and we are joined to him in life, then we are joined to one another in life. This is why I say God didn't pour out his spirit on a bunch of individuals to go and do their individual things. He poured out his spirit upon the body, which is his church. That is the work of reunification that God wrought at Pentecost when he began to bring back into one all that had been separated and scattered. Thus Paul writes to the Ephesians, Ephesians 1.10, 
that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. God, by the power of his spirit, is gathering together in one all things in Christ. This is the ongoing work of the spirit. This is the ongoing work of Pentecost. This is the gathering of the harvest, the gathering together in one, all things in Christ. This is the work of the Spirit in us and through us. This is the power from on high that Jesus spoke of and promised to all who bear his name. This is the promise of power to be his witnesses. This is why God has given us his Spirit. If you are in Christ, if you are trusting in Him, you have this power. You have His anointing. You have the fire of His Spirit burning in you. As you yield to Him, He knows how to kindle that fire within you and cause you to burn brighter and brighter as a light bearer for His glory. So we are called to surrender ourselves to His will to yield ourselves to His Holy Spirit and to His power and to His fire that burns bright in us for His glory. Because of what Jesus did, because of what God did in pouring out His Spirit at Pentecost, we are invited to come to His table. And His table reminds us Yes, of the death of Jesus, but we cannot be and we should never be reminded of the death of Jesus and not affirm and be reminded of the resurrection life and power that now resides in us by the Spirit of God that has been poured out by the Father into our hearts, making us one with Him and one with one another. Let's prepare our hearts to come to his table. Coming to this table is an act of faith. It is an act of thanksgiving. Faith that you have been called and that you have been anointed for his glory. Thanksgiving. Thankfulness that you have been called and you have been anointed for his glory. And it is by his grace that we are able to come. So Christian, come to the table and come to Jesus. Let's all stand. Here's your charge today. Not just for fathers, but for all of us. Lord knows we need spiritual fathers to rise up in the church. And I pray they do. But we are all charged to know that in Christ we have received the Holy Spirit. And that we are to live our lives filled with His Spirit. That means we are to live our lives yielded to and under the control of. His Spirit. It's not a matter of needing more of His Spirit or more of His anointing. 
It's a matter of walking more according to the Spirit and walking less according to our flesh. It's a matter of giving greater place to the mind of the Spirit and no place to the mind of the flesh or to the devil. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We're charged to settle that we have all of Jesus and all of the Holy Spirit we could possibly ever receive. He has not withheld anything from us in giving us His Son. We must seek a greater comprehension of the full measure of Him and the full power of His Holy Spirit that is dwelling in us. We must cultivate a desire to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. We must seek that so that Christ's fellowship will be a church and you will be light bearers and torches that will burn bright with the fire of God's glory. This is why God poured out His Spirit and He poured out His fire upon the church that we would be powerful and bright witnesses to Christ and to His glory. We have been given the power of His Spirit so that we would see His kingdom come and His will be done on earth. And that means in us, in our hearts, in our lives, in our families, all around us, even as it is in heaven. Before we will ever see the world change, we must seek to see our own hearts change. May we all seek to see our hearts change so that we may see our immediate and our greater world begin to change. May His Holy Spirit transformation continue in us as we are daily being conformed to His image. Christ's fellowship, continue to press through and to press on and to do so for His glory. You belong to Jesus. You are not your own. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Therefore, we are all charged to live like it, to love like it, to work like it, and to fight like it. Amen.